Luke chapter 5. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. We are finishing up our series on looking like Jesus. We've spent the last five weeks looking at different attributes of who Jesus is and how he is calling us as Christians, as Christ followers, as literally little Christ is what that word Christian means, that man, if we're going to be Christians, we need to look like Jesus. And so we've looked at five different attributes. Today we're going to finish it up. We're going to start right here in Luke chapter five. I want to read one of the coolest stories in the gospels, uh, in my opinion, and I know everybody's got a favorite story. I don't know. This is my favorite, but I love, love, love so much about this story in Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So Jesus is standing by a lakeside, and he is teaching a crowd. We don't know how big the crowd is, but we get the impression from, from other accounts that it's a big enough crowd that there's not, not enough room for Jesus to stand at the lake shore. People can't really see him. So Jesus is about to do something. He's about to get into one of these boats in order to preach. So Jesus, verse 3, it says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Simon's a guy that we know uh, better by another name. Anybody know what Simon's name is? His name's Peter. Like, Jesus is going to change his name, and throughout the New Testament, we see him as Peter or sometimes Simon Peter. But at this point, he's still Simon. This is before Jesus has wrecked his life. It's before Jesus has changed his career path. It's before Jesus has invaded his world. He's just still Simon the fisherman. And so Jesus gets in to Simon's boat and says he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus got in a place where more people could see him, more people could hear him, and he sat down and he taught the crowd from Simon's boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Simon and his fellow fishermen, which we actually discover uh, are coming, some guys that you might be familiar with too. Their names are James and John. The three of them are about fishing all night long. They haven't caught anything. And so they're sitting on the lakeside. As Jesus comes, they're sitting on the lakeside fixing their nets, mending their nets, frustrated, bummed, discouraged. You ever had a horrible day at work? Um, you ever had a horrible night shift at work? Well, they worked all night, uh, and it didn't get anything. They had nothing to show for it, and they did not get paid by the hour. They got paid by the fish. So they spent their whole night out on the lake for nothing. They felt miserable. They were discouraged. They're contemplating a career change. And Jesus Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing some more. Uh, the thing that you just hated doing, the thing that you're just so frustrated about, let's go back out there. I can imagine what's going on in Simon's head as Jesus makes this request. But he says, even though we haven't caught anything because you say so, we will, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Incredible miracle of Jesus. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to be in your presence. You ever felt like that when you came to church? I don't even belong here. Well, guess what, man? You do belong here because this is an imperfect church full of imperfect people seeking a perfect God. 
And Jesus, in his perfection, in his power, in his miraculous moment, he meets Peter right where he's at. Verse 9 said, for he, Simon Peter, and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. For now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter's an individual who had a chance to see up close and personal each one of these characteristics of Jesus that we've talked about the last few weeks. Peter's a guy who got a chance to see how accepting Jesus was when he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus forgave him and restored him. Peter's the guy who got to see up close and personal how authentic Jesus was. He spent three and a half years following Jesus from town to town, from speech to speech, from miracle to miracle. He spent three and a half years up close in Jesus' life, discovering everything that he truly was. He's the guy who got to see that authenticity. Peter's the guy who knew exactly how enjoyable Jesus was. Peter's the guy who actually got to hear Jesus tell jokes. I can only imagine what Jesus' jokes are like. I can only imagine how funny it would be for Jesus to stand there and crack a joke. But I believe that we are made in the image of God and we have a sense of humor. And so that means God must have a sense of humor. Amen? So the Bible doesn't record for us what Jesus' jokes were like, but Peter got to know what they were like. He got to see how Jesus was enjoyable. He saw Jesus' generosity at work in countless times, in countless ways. In fact, in this very story, we see him encounter the generosity of Jesus. Peter went from no fish to an abundance of fish. He had more than enough fish to pay his bills, more than enough fish to to cash out his business, to leave everything behind. On the greatest day, the biggest success he ever had as a fisherman is the day he retired and went into the ministry. Jesus provided for him. Jesus was so generous. Peter was a guy who witnessed Jesus' power. Not just for the masses, not just when Jesus did miracles and healings for other. Peter's a guy who brought his mother-in-law, who was sick, to Jesus. And Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Peter's a guy who experienced the power of Jesus up close and personal. Peter's a guy who even saw Jesus' power fix his mistake. Peter, in anger as Jesus was getting ready to be arrested, Peter took out his sword and he sliced off somebody's ear. And Jesus, in his grace and in his power, reached down and he grabbed the man's ear and he put it back on. Peter saw the power of Jesus up close. And so here in this story, we discover the sixth attribute of Jesus, the one that actually opened the door for for Peter to experience all of the others. In fact, it's what I believe is the, the attribute that opens the door for anyone to experience the power of Jesus, the acceptance of Jesus, the authenticity of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus, the enjoyable nature of Jesus. And that characteristic is this, Jesus is relevant. Jesus is relevant. You see, Peter saw Jesus in Luke chapter 5 as Jesus is making the transition from from carpenter, his family business, to rabbi and to being a teacher. Um, Jesus isn't a fisherman. He doesn't know anything about boats. He doesn't know anything about the sea, or so Peter thinks. Peter doesn't know at this point in time that this is the son of God. He's a guy who worked with nails and built stuff, and he's a guy who's now beginning to teach people to be a religious leader. And Jesus comes in his world, in his mode, and he's teaching. And Peter sees Jesus in Jesus' world, but what does Jesus do? Jesus sacrifices his world. He gets out of his world, and he gets into Peter's world. And Jesus physically got in to Peter's boat. 
And that's the essence of relevance. That's the essence of what we're going to talk about today. Relevance is getting out of our world and getting into somebody else's world. It's making sure that the message that we have, which everybody hopefully knows Jesus' message was life-changing. Jesus' his message was impactful. It was crazy important. But he brought the message in such a way, he got into somebody else's world to tell him about it. He got into Peter's world. In fact, on a big picture scale, this is what Jesus did for all of this. Jesus didn't stay up in heaven and say, hey, I'm going to scream at you from the heavens about my goodness. He didn't stay up in heaven and say, I'm going to send my angels, and they're going to come down and tell you all about me. Jesus said, I'm in heaven, and I'm worshiped. I'm on a throne. I've got everything I could ever want. I'm observed and recognized for who I am, but I'm going to set all that aside. I'm going to set aside my power, my glory, my worship, and I'm going to come down and be a man so that I can get into your world and be like you. At his very essence, Jesus is relevant. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. See, every religion in the world wants to teach you how you can get to God, how you can get to heaven. That's what religion is all about. All across the globe, no matter what religion you look at, it's all about how you can discover that place where you've reached God, where you've reached the good, where you've become a part of something. But Christianity is different because it's all about how God came to man. There's no story like it. There's no narrative like it. There's nothing else like it in all the world to discover a place where God left heaven and came to us. He's not just come to us, but came to be like us, to relate to us, to experience our temptation, to experience our pain, to experience our struggle, to experience what it's like to be human. See, Jesus is incredibly relevant. He leaves his world and he comes to ours. Now, the word relevant has been kind of misused and misrepresented in many times in the church world. I want to make sure that we understand what we are saying when we say Jesus is relevant and that we as his followers should be relevant and what we're not saying. So I want to start out with actually a couple things that relevance is not. If we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to be like him and be relevant, what are we saying and what are we not saying? So first of all, relevance is not trying to be cool. It's not trying to be cool. It's not the struggle to be like the coolest church we can be. Um, I, I remember being in a meeting a, a few years back when I was on staff here before I was the pastor. And, uh, and somebody uh, very with, with great intentions and with a great heart was like, well, man, we should be able to pull that off because we're a cool church. Uh, and I remember just like my, my skin crawling because like, first of all, I was like, I don't know that we're really that cool. Uh, like, I don't know that cool is like our greatest attribute, but let's say that it is. That's not what we're aspiring to. That's not what we're shooting for, man. And just putting together a relevant service and putting together a contemporary worship style or whatever you want to call it. I hate that word contemporary too, but I know it's what a lot of people use. Man, we're not trying to be cool. We're just not. First of all, I think cool is something very elusive that the harder you try to reach it, the further it like moves away from you because cool constantly changes. Um, but, but set that aside, man, we are trying to be something so much more than cool. We're trying to change lives. We're trying to reach people. Um, and people don't just need somebody that's cool. They need something that they can relate to. Sometimes cool might be a byproduct of re relevance. I think there's some things that we're going to do in our cow tubing series that maybe somebody might describe as cool. And if they describe it as cool, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But we don't sit down in planning meetings. We don't sit down and be like, okay, uh, wh what's the coolest new worship song that you've heard that we can do? 
Man, what's the coolest new video we can show? What's the coolest logo we can come up with? Like, cool is not the goal. Just understand that. We are not trying to be cool. The, the walls aren't black so that we can be cool. The lights aren't dim so that we can be cool. Like, it's, there's, there's a reason and a purpose behind it. We're trying to relate to people. We're trying to, re- to, to be relevant to people. We're trying to get in to people's world, but we are not ever, like, we don't call surveys after guests have come, can you rate how cool the service was on a scale of one to ten, right? That's, that's not the goal. We want to see people's lives changed. That's what this is all about. That's why, why we've been called to do what we've been called to do. So we're not trying to be cool. Please understand that. Uh, secondly, relevance, not only is not about trying to be cool, it's not about compromising the truth. It's not. Many times so-called relevant churches are accused of things like watering down the gospel or minimizing the power of God. And I'm sure in some cases that's true. Um, That's not our goal here. Man, we believe in a life-changing gospel. We believe in a Jesus that left heaven and came to earth to die for my sins and for your sins. It's scandalous. It's crazy. It's ridiculous that it happened. But we believe that it has just as much power today as it did 2,000 years ago. We believe that the power of God is real, that the power of the Holy Spirit is real, that God wants to touch lives and impact lives. And so we don't ever want to minimize or compromise the truth. We don't ever want to, to become like the world in such a way that, that we are discounting the message of God. Here's what I would say, and the best way that I've ever heard it summed up. Um, we believe that our message is sacred. Amen? A message is sacred, but our methods are not. In other words, sometimes we're going to try some new things. Sometimes we're going to experiment with some things. Sometimes we're going to try something, and it's going to be terrible. There's times where we've done that, man, where something went over like a lead balloon, and we realized, what were we thinking when we put that together? Um, when I was hired here, the pastor who hired me said such a, a great statement to me, Pastor Jason Delgado, who started this church. Uh, he looked me in the eye, and he said, Troy, I want you to know. He hired me as a youth pastor, just if you don't know. So I came in to take over the youth ministry uh, in 2005. He said, Troy, I want you to know you have the freedom to fail. He said, I'm not hiring you to be perfect. I'm not hiring you to do everything right, but I am hiring you to make stuff happen. And so if in the process of making some stuff happen, you do something and it stinks, it's okay. I'm going to have your back. We're going to pick up the pieces. We're going to evaluate why it didn't work, but we're going make it, to make it better. But you've got the freedom to fail. And I try to tell every team member here at City Church that same thing. You've got the freedom to fail. Make stuff happen. Step out there. Be aggressive, man. Be confident. Take risks for the glory of God. Um, why? Because the methods, they're not sacred. We can play around with them. We can tweak them. We can try new things. And sometimes it might work and sometimes it might not. That's okay. But the message, we don't play with that. We don't mess with that. The message is as true as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our message is absolutely sacred. Jesus, when he put together the church, the Holy Spirit, when he inspired the the writers of the New Testament to put down the word of God, what's what's really interesting is if you read through the whole New Testament, there is so little to say about how a church service should be run. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, like looking for, well, how should we do a church service? Probably not if you're not in ministry, like I get that, but I have. What does the Bible have to say about how church services should be run? It has so little to say about it. Why? Well, because I think God knew that the things that were done in first century Jerusalem might not be the same things that are done 2,000 years ago in Olive Branch, Mississippi. 
the language would be different. The culture would be different. The people would be different. In fact, he knew that not only is Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it's 6,604 miles from Olive Branch. I looked it up today. 6,604 miles away. And as the gospel traveled across the world, as it traveled to different cultures, to different areas, to different generations, he made church really flexible so that we could put it in a different context to reach different people. But what he didn't make flexible is the message. Man, the message, he spent a lot of time telling us about Jesus. He spent a lot of time telling us about doctrine, about what we should believe. And I think it's, it's really indicative that Jesus and the, the, the Holy Spirit put the, the word of God together that way because our message is sacred, but the methods are not. So what is relevance? Now that I've kind of defined what it's not, it's not about compromising the truth. It's not about being cool. I want to explain to you what it means to be relevant, both as a church and as individuals. Man, throughout this series, we've tried to look at how should, should this attribute apply to us corporately as a, as a church body, and how as an individual we can carry out Jesus' authenticity, his acceptance, his enjoyability, his power, uh, that we can take those things wherever we go. So how do we, what do we do with relevance? What is relevance? Well, the best way I can describe it is with Scripture. Relevance is about being fishers of men. It's the best summary, the best description you could ever have, and it's from the Word of God. In fact, in Matthew's version of this very story, the calling of Peter, Matthew shortens it up. He doesn't tell us anything about the boats. He doesn't tell us anything about the fish. He just says Jesus came to, to Peter. But what does he say in Matthew 4.19, this very famous statement? He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. You know, God wants to make you a fisher of men. You might not be a fisherman by trade. I'm not. I don't understand all about catching fish. I don't understand about nets and boats and all those things that they did. I don't even really enjoy fishing. I know a lot of you guys, like, an afternoon fishing is, like, the greatest thing you can imagine. Uh, you do like, in fact, I wish you'd shut up so I can go catch a fish right now. Uh, but for me, that's like, eh, you know, if I can do it. If I got the right people with me, I'll do it. But it's not really something that I just get excited about. But in order to catch a fish, the best way to do it if you, is you need to begin to think like a fish. Like, if you're going to catch a shark, it's a lot different than catching a bass, right? Like, we all understand that. Um, so you've got to begin to think like the specific fish that you're trying to catch. Does it like salt water or fresh water? Does it like deep water? Or shallow water? Does it like cold water or warm water? What does it like to eat? What kind of bait is going to attract it? Is it going to be caught with a net? Is it going to be caught with a hook? Do I need live bait or, or dead bait or a lure? What is it that's going to attract this fish? Peter knew all that instantly. I mean, that was his world. And so Jesus, he's so relevant that in calling Peter to follow Jesus, Peter, Jesus actually goes into Peter's word, world to manufacture the language to call him. Jesus could have told Peter anything. He could have said, come follow me and you'll change the world. He could have said, come follow me and I'll make you a leader. He could have said, come follow me and we're going to change people's lives. And every one of those statements would have been true, but Jesus was so relevant that he put it into a language that was going to grab Peter's heart. He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Why? Because that was Peter's world. That boat was his world. Catching fish was his world. That's where he spent his time. That's where he found his livelihood. That's where he got his boys. That's where he found the people he spent his time with. It's what he enjoyed doing. So Jesus articulated it in such a way that it was going to catch Peter right where he was at. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. But not only was his statement to Peter relevant to Peter's life, it was a statement of relevance. If you're going to begin to catch people, if you're going to be a fisher for people instead of a fisher for fish, you're going to have to start thinking 
like people. If we're going after the lost, you're going to have to start thinking like the lost. Now, if I go out and I try to catch something in, in the lake, I probably won't. But if I try, I'm not trying to think like a person. Well, where would I catch a person? How am I going to get a person with this hook? I'm not going to catch anything, right? I'm like, okay, what's the fish going to want? What kind of bait do I need? Where do I need to go? What time of day do I need to be out? I'm thinking like the fish. And so in city church, as Christians, if you're going to reach the lost, which, oh, by the way, you're called to reach the lost. This, that's not the pastor's job. That's the job of anybody who says I'm a Christian. We are called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So if you're going to live up to that call that God has on your life, you got to start thinking like the lost. You got to start thinking like people. Doesn't mean we act like the lost. Doesn't mean that we start using all of the, the maybe the language that they use or we start doing all of the things that they do. But we've got to understand what is it that makes them tick? What is it that, that puts them in that situation for Bryce McStaberson or whatever his name was? You know, we, we put together a postcard that got into his world. Man, there, on his comments on the Facebook post, he talked about how clever it was, how creative it was, man. That's just a clever way of putting together your message series. He went on and on, like, defending us to people. It was awesome. This dude, like, I want him to come to City Church. Like, I want to see him get saved. I want him to come to church, start preaching. Like, he can have my job. Like, he's so pumped up about this series. It's so cool, but why did it work? Because we didn't just send out a mail out that said, come here about Jesus. Is that what we're going to do? Yes. We're going to tell them about Jesus. But we got into somebody's world. We put it in such a way that it made sense to them. That's what being a fisher of men means. Jesus made a relevant statement to Peter. I believe he makes relevant statements to all of us. He gets into our world. You might not be a fisherman. You might work at a hospital. You might work at a bank. You might work in construction. You might not work. Whatever it is, whatever your situation is, I believe that Jesus can relate. That's why he came to earth, to be human, to get into our skin, to get into our human condition and experience life like us. The first person who really brought me close to Jesus was a guy named Jeff Bullock. Jeff was my youth pastor, and I got into to the youth group at our church in, in Seattle, Washington, and um, I was homeschooled at this point in time, and so I was a total nerd, and not that everybody in homeschool was a nerd, but I was a nerd, uh, and, and I was really not cool in any way, shape, or form, and I knew it. Like, I understood that I was a loser, um, and so... <laughs> Thankfully, God delivered me from that. Amen. Right? Uh, right? Not just kidding. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the no. Uh, no, so that's, that's what I thought of myself at this time. And I remember Pastor Jeff, um, as I was homeschooled, I was in seventh grade. And about once a month, Jeff would give me a call, and he'd be like, hey, man, um, I got some, some free time this afternoon. What if I come pick you up? We'll go to Shakey's Pizza, and then we'll go to the park and throw the football. And I thought that was the greatest thing in all the world, is that I could have pizza and I could throw a football with my youth pastor. Because uh, he knew that my world revolved around sports. I loved sports. It's what I was all about. And so we went to Shakey's and they had the game on or they had something on the TV that we could watch. And then we went out and we threw the football. And he didn't sit down and talk to me about the finer points of the doctrine of Jesus. He didn't sit down and, and explain to me how much I needed to come to Christ. He just got in my world. But it was his willingness to leave his world. He was older than me. He was wealthier than me. He was cooler than me. Like, he left all of that to get into, hey, what, what is Troy like? What is Troy into? And once a month, we would go out, and we grab pizza, and we throw the football, and we just talk about life. And it was that guy who made me say, you know what? I need to take my walk with God a little more serious. 
This isn't just something that, that I should do on Sundays and Wednesdays. This can, could actually apply to every day of my life. This could actually be a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week purpose for me. In fact, Jeff was the first person who looked me in the eye at, actually at his resignation party. He resigned to, to go to another church in town, the church that he grew up in, offered him the position there, and I was heartbroken, man, that Pastor Jeff was leaving. Uh, but at that party where we had his going-away party, he's the one who looked me in the eye and said, when you get out of Bible college, give me a call. I want to hire you. And that was the first time somebody told me that I was called into ministry, that I actually was like, whoa, I might actually have a call into ministry. It rocked my world. It changed my life. Why? Because he got into my world. Because he was relevant. Not because he stood up here behind a pulpit and put together powerful messages, although he did that. But it was his willingness to just spend some time with me. And so maybe that will help you understand when we say being relevant. Hopefully that, maybe that, that brings a clearer picture of what that really means. So as we wrap up today, I just want to give you a few questions to ask yourself that will help you to be relevant like Jesus. Because I believe there's lost people in your world. And I believe that there's a tug in your heart to reach those lost people. I think you care. But I think a lot of times we don't know how to go from that tug in our heart to actually making a difference in somebody's life. So how do, we go, how do I go from this point of recognizing, man, there's these people that I love, that I care about, and they're far from God, to actually making a difference? Well, let me just give you some questions to ask that I think will help you to come to that point. The first question you need to ask to be relevant like Jesus, to be a fisher of men, is who do you want to reach? Who are those people who tug at your heart. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. I've got some family members that I'm still believing God that he's going to reach. And sometimes I get discouraged because it's been a long time and they haven't been reached yet. But you know what? The, end of the, the game isn't over yet. They're still alive. They're still breathing. There's still time for Jesus to get a hold of them. Who do you want to reach? Who is it in your world that, man, it bothers you that they're far from God? Now, honestly, anybody who's far from God, that should bother us. But I think sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to tug your heart about somebody specific. Man, that's the one, that's the family, that's the neighbor, that's the person that I'm putting on your heart for this season. So begin to ask that question, maybe pray about that question. That's a dangerous prayer, because if you ask God, who do you want me to reach? He's going to answer the question. He's going to put the ball in your court. He's going to identify somebody. But if you're crazy enough, if you're bold enough to say, God, I want you to use me, just ask him the question. God, who do I need to reach? At this season in my life, at this point, who is it that you're calling me to go after? So ask that question first. Second question to ask is, once you've answered that question, what are they like or what are they into? What, 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 are, what makes them tick? What is it that really gets them fired up? Um, maybe they're into music. Maybe they're into sports. Maybe they're into to conversation. Maybe they're just into food. Maybe they're into to something totally different. They're into skateboarding or they're, they're into cars or they're into building things. I guess those are all guy things. Maybe they're into knitting or crocheting or I don't know what women are into. It's not my department. Uh, for, but uh, maybe they're into, what are they into? What makes them tick? Maybe they're into TV. Uh, I don't know. But, but ask yourself, okay, what is it that they care about? What are they passionate about? What are they into? Um, once you've asked that question and, and kind of identified it, ask yourself this. What, and I put this in quotation marks, non-spiritual, because ultimately everything is spiritual, uh, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But, but we kind of segment our lives and we think like certain things are spiritual and certain things are not. So what quote-unquote non-spiritual things are you into? In other words, things that even if you weren't a Christian, um, you could probably still get excited about. So that could be music. It could be football. It could be, you know, anything along those lines. Your kids, food, fishing. 
talked about fishing, hunting, go kill something. Like, I don't know. Uh, what are you into? What is it that makes you tick that gets you fired up? Uh, golf, whatever it might be, NASCAR, I don't know. Um, what's the non-spiritual thing that, that is going to overlap your world and their world? What's the non-spiritual thing that, that you happen to share in common with these individuals that you're trying to reach? And for some of them, it might be really easy and obvious, and for some, it might be pretty difficult. But begin to evaluate, what are the non-spiritual things in my life that overlap with their life? What are we into together? Maybe your kids are on the same ball team. That's, that's, your, that's your connection point. So you can just talk to them about, man, your, your son's really improved his soccer game. I don't know. Like, find whatever that is. And make it work. Number four. So this is kind of the obvious follow-up question. How can I use what I'm into to reach people? How can I use what I'm into to reach people? We're going to tell you about our city groups tonight, but I'm going to tell you about one of them this morning because it's perfect. Cody and Mercedes are leading a kickball city group this semester. Because they have gotten into kickball. They're fired up about kicking a ball around and throwing it off of people's faces or whatever you do. Uh, and I'm just kidding about the f- throwing off people's faces. But they're excited about kickball. It, it fires them up. They have a good time with it. What does that do? That is such a non-threatening thing for non-Christians to come to. A lot of times you go up to somebody like, you need to go to church with me. They're like, whoa, back off, man. I don't know you that good, right? Like, like we're not that close. Um, but you can, hey, we're playing kickball next Sunday afternoon. Why don't you come over? It's totally non-threatening. Now, for some people, kickball is threatening because you're not athletic and you're not interested, right? But there's some people who that's going to be a great hook. You know, man, that'd be fun. It'd be a good time for us to get the family out, a good chance for me to get some exercise. I don't know. Man, I'm going to come check out kickball. They've used something that they're excited about that you wouldn't look at and say, man, kickball is super spiritual, right? Like, man, people who play kickball, that's the people who are closest to Jesus, right? Like, you've never thought that in your life, but they've taken this thing that seems so non-churchy, non-spiritual, non-God, and said, you know what, we want to use this to reach people, to grab people, to bring them closer to God. I think it's awesome. So what kind of non-spiritual things are you into, and what, how can you use them to reach people? And here's the last question for you, and this is the really uncomfortable one, because I think this is the one that sums up relevance more than anything else. Number five, what can I get into to reach people? Use the stuff that you're already into to reach people. But sometimes God's going to put somebody on your heart and there's no overlap. They don't play guitar like you play guitar. They don't fish like you fish. They, don't, they aren't into the same thing. They're not in the same point in the same season in life. I can't find the overlap. And God's going to say, I want you to get into the thing that they're into. See that neighbor? He's really into cars. I want you to start studying up on cars. See, that, that group of people over there, they're really into this style of music, and maybe that's not your favorite style of music, but I want you to start to get familiar with it because it's going to open a door for you to reach them for the glory of God. What is God leading you to get into? Now, when I say, what are you not into that you need to get into? Let me make sure with this clear. This is not sin, all right? It's not, well, guess I need to start being an alcoholic again. I'm going to reach some people for Jesus. Um, like, let, let's be real clear, uh, there are people who are into stuff, and it's not stuff you need to get into. We don't bring people to Jesus by coming down to their level, but we do bring people to Jesus by getting into their world. Okay? So if you get into their world, find out what that thing is. And, and God may put somebody on your heart, and I think most often, honestly, this is one that he's going to do with a family member. Because there might be a family member that you've been trying to reach for so long, and it just isn't happening. And you may realize, hey, they got this hobby, they got this passion, they got this thing that really gets them excited, and it's not really my thing. 
But if I can start spending some time on that, if I can start understanding that a little better, it's going to open some doors for us to spend some real quality time together. And in the process of that, the Holy Spirit is going to open a door for me to share with them Jesus. And it's not just going to be showing up at the door and telling them you need to get saved. It's going to be building a relationship. It's not always going to be a family member. But I think, at least in my experience, this is most applicable to family members. I've had to, to learn about some things to try to reach my brother that I wouldn't have gotten into on my own. But it's worth it. It's worth it to build that relationship. So be relevant. Be fishers of men. Ask yourself these questions. In fact, let's go back through the questions real quick just to summarize. Number one, who do you want to reach? Maybe you know immediately when I say that. There's somebody that's been on your heart. There's specific people on your heart. I'd still ask God about it, honestly, even if you already know, because there may be somebody else that he's wanted us to put on your heart. But ask him, who do you want to reach? Secondly, what are they like? What are they into? Once you've answered that, look at what non-spiritual things you're into. Um, number four, how can I use that thing that I'm into, that non-spiritual thing, to reach somebody? And number five, what can I get into to reach people? Here's the thing, guys. Eternity matters. It does. It matters so much that Jesus died for it. It matters so much that he left heaven. He left comfort. He left adoration. He left everything he could ever want in heaven and said, you know what? I love this, and I'm going to come back to it one day. But before I come back to it, I love these people who are far from God too much, and I'll make the sacrifice. And then he says, hey, I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my forgiveness. I'm going to make you part of my family. And he extended that to me, and he extended that to you if you're a Christian. And then he says, now go be like me. Be like me. Be accepting like me. Be authentic like, authentic like me. Be enjoyable like me. Be powerful like me. Be generous like me. Be relevant like me. I left a lot behind to come be with you. What will you be willing to leave behind to get into somebody else's world, to get into somebody else's situation, to get into their life, to get into their boat so that you can be a fisher of men? Because God wants to use you for his glory. Amen? Amen. As we wrap up, I want to turn your attention to one last passage of scripture very quickly. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And the Apostle Paul was the greatest missionary probably that the world ever saw. This guy made a, a greater impact for the glory of Jesus than just about any human being that ever lived. And he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's writing about the importance of reaching people for Jesus. And listen to what he says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. He says, though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Now he's talking about the law. He's not talking about like the speed limit, although it's important to obey that too. He's talking about the Jewish law, the Judaic law, um, and how he, even though he knew, hey, I don't have to follow this stuff. I'm freed from this as, as a Christian. I don't have to live by every detail of this. I'm going to observe these things because if I don't observe them, Jews aren't going to listen to me. So I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to be willing to do all these cleansings and these washings and these festivals and all this other stuff that comes with the Jew so that I have an open door to witness to them. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So in other words, when he was in Greece, when he was in Rome, and he was around people who weren't Jews, he's not spending a lot of time worrying about the Judaic law. He's trying to be like them. He's trying to get into their, their world. Uh, 
So those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I told you earlier that there's a, a Mission OB meeting going on on September 27th. If you don't know about Mission OB, it's our process, our ministry to get out of our, wa- all wa- our walls and into the city. It's an opportunity to, to be relevant to find the need in the community and to meet the need in the community. Last Sunday night at Grow Leadership, we didn't have a class. We didn't have a teaching. We just went out and loved on people. We had groups all over town. We had people picking up trash in candlelight. We had people picking up trash on 305. We had two different groups that went into Olive Branch City Park handing out bottled water, uh, bottled water to people. Uh, we had people handing out laundry detergent at laundromats. Uh, we had people handing out cookies to people at the fire department. Just being Jesus, just getting out of our world, said, hey, come to City Church, come to church, come to church, come to church. The church went to them. That's the essence of relevance. I'm not saying don't invite people to church. Invite people to church. But if this is all we're doing, all we're doing is shouting at people. If this is all we're doing, all we're doing is putting one more burden on people, one more thing on their to-do list. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus didn't shout, come to heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to show you how to get to heaven. It's relevance. Jesus got into Peter's boat. He got into our world, and he's calling us to do the same. So I want you to know this morning God's got a call for you to be relevant. He's got a call for you to get into somebody's world. Hopefully you wrote down those questions. If you didn't, man, get the podcast um, and and listen to them and write them down. Or uh, I'll post them on Facebook this week. If you follow the City Church Facebook, we'll put them on there this week. Because I think these questions are worth wrestling with. I think these questions are important. And I think God wants to use you to alter somebody's eternity. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much.